ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Wednesdays on Hard to Paint mean one thing, the Dawn Patrol with me and my good friend, my brother from another, Mr. Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome back. How you doing so far this week, my man? Doing great, man. You know, it hasn't been the busiest week, but it has still been a busy week. So, you know, it's it's moving, it's going, but grateful to be here with you as always, my brother. Always glad. And you look at this weekend, the biggest thing is yesterday, Jameis Winston had a really interesting press conference, um, talked about his relationship with Drew Brees, talked about his Mm -hmm. expectations for next season. And there were two things that kind of stuck out. Number one was, I think there was a circle back all the way to the original signing of Jameis Winston. When he talked about Mm -hmm. coming to the Harvard of quarterbacking. Yep. And what you saw what he took from it, even if it's just a statement, I thought it was very important for him to say, I learned about perseverance. I learned about preparation. I learned about professionalism, all these things um, that he talked about. And he was very specific. Yes. Saying, I watched Drew Brees do these things on a day-to-day basis, learning from him, learning from Sean Payton, learn, ha- them having that time. They don't know what that meant to me. Right. That's an important thing for Jameis. I think mentally, I don't think we've seen him in a place like that where before he's always been the guy and things have been for him to lose. Well, now it's something out there for him to take. And there seems to be a lot of confidence for him, but also a lot of humility and understanding of where he's been and where Mm -hmm. he's trying to get back to. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that really stood out to me was, you know, I, I, I keep talking about his clarity. It was as if the vision of how he wanted to be a quarterback was finally present to him. You know, the way that he wanted to play the game was finally available to him. And, you know, I think, you know, the highlight of the uh, for most folks of that that interview of that presser is him talking about those final moments with Drew Brees on the sideline and what ended up being Drew Brees' final game. But for me, it really was even before that him being able to talk about, you know, I, what I learned, one of the things that stood out to me was him talking about how he learned from Drew Brees that it's not always about results, that it's about making the right decisions and that the results come from continuously making the right decisions and how he learned that, how he had to go out and execute that in practice, how he had to watch that happen every single week, right? The Drew Brees go out there and do it. And then he mentioned Taysom Hill going out and doing it as well and him saying, oh, I want to be the one that goes out there and does that and is just making the right decisions. And I think anytime you talk to anybody about, hey, what's the thing that Jameis Winston needs to improve upon as a New Orleans Saints quarterback, most folks are going to talk about decision-making, decision-making, and mental processing. And I think that you saw him in yesterday's presser really, really lean into that himself and and give a level of clarity and understanding that, hey, that's something I feel like I need to work on too. And here are the things that I took away on it. I also really appreciated that he gave Taysom that nod as to say, this thing that I need to get better at, I observe it in the person I'm competing against, which means I need to be better there, regardless of how he truly feels about the competition or how anybody truly feels about the competition, I enjoyed seeing that his moment of saying this thing that I need to improve upon, I see someone else doing, so I need to do it better. 
Yeah, I don't think he disregards Taysom. Um, so we both would agree that he's the favorite to win mm-hmm. this job. I don't think it's as close as some national pundits are trying to make it that I, if or, you know, Jameis could get beat out. I think the Saints are going to give him every opportunity to take right. the job. I think that's been the goal from the moment he was signed. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was fantastic that he did mention Taysom. Um, you see that him not you see him not really taking anything for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jameis is always going to be emotional. I think if there are people who are yeah. concerned and he breaks down and he cries, and they, no, that's just who he is. That's he's a yeah. emotions on his sleeve, and we wouldn't be saying anything about it if he were um, Brett Favre, for example, who mm-hmm. was very much in that same vein. Um, I just think that's who Jameis is, and I think that's actually a good thing. That's part of the thing that endears him to his teammates is that they feel like he's going through the same things that they are, that he's not really setting himself above their circumstances. Yeah, it it really is a level of connective tissue in a way that he expresses probably what everybody in the locker room feels, but doesn't feel comfortable expressing or doesn't express themselves. But then they see it represented in Jameis Winston. I mean, you know, every good leader can evoke emotion, you know, whether it's from themselves or whether it's, you know, evoking it from other people and being evocative, you know, whatever that might be, like that's that's a skill of a good leader is to be able to do that. And so if that's who Jameis Winston is going to be, I think that works to his benefit. I really, really do, particularly in New Orleans where, you know, Sean Payton is the same way. Like Sean Payton wears his emotions on his sleeve. You know when Sean Payton's mad. You know when Sean Payton's upset when he talks about sitting in a room for months with the lights off, eating, you know, ice cream, eating a tub of ice cream and watching Netflix. Like, you know, there's there's levels to all of that in terms of where you see it in leadership that's already present. And Jameis Winston seems like he's just somebody that if he you know wins that starting job and gets the opportunity to be that leader or continue to be that leader, however you want to look at it, he feels like somebody that will slot right in with the personality that he has and his authenticity. Um, on the defensive side, the big news is the loss of Sheldon Rankins to the mm-hmm. New York Jets. And people like what the Jets are doing in general, but that's not our problem at this stage um but the saints do have to replace um his production and then you mm-hmm. lost trey hendrick's been over the last um week or so so two important cogs of that defensive unit particularly on the line gone now rankins was again not somebody that we didn't see as a potential person moving on sure um yeah. But it just it does leave another hole and it's going to mean some guys are going to have to step up and it also affects the way the Saints approach the draft. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Especially with the way that they approach the draft. I completely agree with that. And you have to look at it, too, that you know, they also traded away Malcolm Brown. So that's three of the top six defensive linemen in terms of snap counts last year that are all of a sudden not on the team anymore. And you are either going to have to replace those snap counts and replace those players with new bodies, or you're going to have to disseminate the way that you, or adjust the way that you disseminate snaps amongst your defensive line. Do the Saints go away from a rotating, a consistent, like a constantly rotating defensive line and stick with a more traditional, this is who's in on a four-man front, this is who's in on a three-man front. I don't think that they shift their defense that much. You know what I mean? I don't think that they go away from the rotation. I think they enjoy having that. We know how that affects, uh, do how that affects opposing offensive lines. And so it makes sense to me is that maybe you see the Saints go for one of those positions, either prob- more than likely either the one-tech nose tackle or, or zero-tech nose tackle and maybe an edge rusher in free agency once they get to a place where they feel like they're ready to you know, be a part 
part of free agency is they're kind of focusing inward still at the moment and then maybe go with that penetrating three tech and maybe even another edge rusher in the draft. That's kind of the way that I would go about it. I mean, you have David Onyemata still, who if he takes one more step forward next season, which seems likely considering all the steps forward he's taken since he's been in the NFL, I mean, he's playing extremely well, and he ends up entering the conversation of, you know, the top defensive tackles in the league. And he plays both that three-tech, that one-tech, wherever it is that you need. You've got Malcolm Roach and Shy Tuttle who play very well at, you know, at nose tackle. Maybe you're comfortable with them, but I still think that you look to grab some other folks that can rotate at more specific positions, particularly at that three-tech side to be on the field with David Onyemata and then also out on the edge to essentially replace Trey Hendrickson's snap counts and maybe give you somebody else that can ro- continue to rotate with Marcus Davenport and uh, Cam Jordan. You know, with the Saints being about one and a half million under the cap at this point um, and having, what, 53 signed at this right now, mm-hmm. um, I'd imagine they take what the Patriots typically did before this season in free agency the rest of the way yeah. is let the, the, the top guys sift them with their, themselves out, yep. let the team spend their money, and then you do your shopping for guys who have individual talents that you can use in that rotation. Okay, we mm-hmm. got – like you said, the guy who plugs the middle, we got a guy who can who just rushes and we can get those at lower prices rather than trying to fill all those needs in one big name player. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, and, and the Saints have done their version of this since 2017. Like they haven't gone out there and made a big splash on the first day of free agency. Right. Like they've made moves that come either late in the first week or starting in the second week of free agency, signing guys like Malcolm Brown, signing guys like Nick Easton. And, you know, they've they've gotten their, you know, every now and then their big name, which I wouldn't rule the Saints out of being able to do, but they'll do it at a sensible cost like they've done with Jared Cook and Emmanuel Sanders, for instance, here in the most recent years. And so I wouldn't rule them out of making, you know, some type of a move that still makes people go, how are they doing that? Uh, but, you know, for the most part, they're they're looking to make sure that they fill out a 90-man roster and have as much competition around the roster as possible. They're going to look for players that can do more than one thing, like they did with bringing back P.J. Williams, for instance. That's who they're going to look for. And there are still a lot of those players out on the market. There's some really quality free agents on the market, and the market is kind of frozen at the moment. Not a lot going on with teams adding new and 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 let's say larger named players you're seeing the you know the small contracts for versatile offensive linemen and you're seeing a lot of re-signing players still right now the bucks seem to be holding on to everybody and being very successful on that route but outside of that you're not seeing guys like richard sherman and casey hayward and ty hilton and all these other players that are still available on the market land anywhere else and so it's kind of at a stagnant pace at the moment which i think works in the saints favor because a the longer that these guys stay on the market, the cheaper their deals get in terms of their one-year prove-it deal before they go out and try to renegotiate a new contract and a larger contract in 2022. Um, with the Saints cap, the the next big domino to fall could be Teron Armstead and getting him um, renegotiated. Um, what kind of deal do you think it looks like considering his value overall, which is still very high across the league, um, but his age and his injury concerns, how long do you think the Saints want to try to spread this out while still getting effective use out of Toronto at this point? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think what we've seen with him is, you know, a, a restructured contract that'll add a couple more void years and potentially activate a couple of the void years that were already there and then start to just push some more of that money over. Uh, you know, I mean, they have a lot of space to create with his contract. You know, I think it'll it'll move into after restructuring, it'll move into like 13 million dollars worth of dead money next season if they move on from him. But then if they activate any of those void years that they have available and they extend him into the those years or even re-sign him into those years much like they did with Norris Jenkins last year then all of a sudden you know you can spread that out a little bit further but he saves you a considerable amount of money with that restructuring and then of course you also have the extensions and still some potential cap casualty cuts that you can make along the way as well to you know give yourself some wiggle room to continue to sign some additional players who are those guys who would be considered cap casualty um, targets uh, of the remaining players who are on the roster yeah, I would still keep an eye on Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray, one of the four players that was listed in trade potential negotiations, according to I believe it was Jared, I believe it was Fowler that tweeted that out. But uh, you know, he was the only one that wasn't actually cut or traded. But he would still save the Saints. I think it's two point four million dollars, two point three million dollars. And then if they designate him as post June one, which we'll have to see if any of the other cuts that have that they've made so far have been designated that way. But if there haven't been two of those players designated there then he still ends up then you could designate him there and he saves you 3.3 million dollars which is a little bit extra help uh and then patrick robinson's another one that i would watch is a two million dollar uh cap savings and i don't believe that the saints have returned yet the 1.075 million dollar base salary of drew Brees if they were to designate him as a post june one cut so that goes on top of all of that as well so just in those if if murray goes and um, Robinson, and then you get that mm-hmm. Drew Brees money back. Then you're talking about another maybe $8 million mm-hmm. uh, for the Saints. Uh, because uh, what Murray's salary for next year is about $4.3 million mm-hmm. total. Right. Um, so, yeah, you, you lose a million there, but still you save that 3.3. And you know that in this league you can get a quality veteran running back at that price for a one year, or if you draft somebody to go right. with um, what you already have in the backfield those are things that the saints can do as well. And and who wouldn't want to run for the saints this year? I think it, it, it you know, if you're a free agent running back, the saints are a great option in a transition mm-hmm. year for you to get carries knowing also that you're playing behind a guy in Alvin Kamara who is not going to get 300 carries. That's just right. not the way this team right. is going to use him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's somebody that also makes your job a little bit easier too, because you have a very distinct role. And that offense, once you show up, you know, we talk all the time about how New Orleans and Sean Payton and these guys, they always make sure that there are defined visions and clearly defined roles for players as they enter the organization. You would have a very clearly and clear and defined role as a running back behind Alvin Kamara and what you do in this offense, much like Latavius Murray's is, much like Mark Ingram's was. And so, you know, I, I think that you have all of that. You also have to your to your disposal too already a guy there in Ty Montgomery that, you know, had a really nice week 17 where you had to lean on him when the rest of the running backs were you know in COVID protocol and so you weren't able to utilize any of them and he really proved himself throughout the season in terms of how he could be used as, as a versatile piece now maybe the Saints still view him as more of a wide receiver which is what we saw them utilize him which was the way we saw them utilize him early on in the year but if they you know see him as more of a running back at this point then perhaps that makes that decision a little bit easier too to where you're really just sort of expanding what you have uh, based upon what 
what's already in the building for you. And so, you know, a guy like Ty Montgomery, who serves multiple purposes as a receiver, as a running back and special teams in both coverage and returnability. So, so let's talk about that draft strategy. Saints have eight picks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, second, two and a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and two sevenths, right? Uh, no fifth. No fifth, excuse me. No fifth, fourth, yeah. sixth, mm-hmm. and two seventh, yeah. Yep. Um, the positions of the Saints, again, don't do need. They do best player. Mm-hmm. But we know it's corners, D-line, offensive line, um, and then tight end probably is another mm-hmm. you know place of need, um, considering that they don't really, even with the, the, the guys that they have behind, Adam Trauma, you're not really impressed with the names that you see there. Mm-hmm. Um, in those eight picks, though, I would imagine that that line depth is, is, is job number one on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints address the trenches with the first, you know, with their first selection, their first round selection. I mean, this is a great, this is a very good cornerback class. And so you can get a great corner in the first round at the bottom uh, of the first, or you can get one in the third round. I mean, it it just kind of depends upon how the board falls down. Um, And, but at the same time, like defensive line depth, you can also pick up in the third round and in the second round. So there's what I'm going to be really interested to see is how many top 100 selections the Saints make. They've got three of them already at 28, 98 and 60 back in the second round. And they have a 105 at the end of the third round. So they're very close to having four top 100 selections. And then they have the fodder to potentially move up and get back into uh, another top 100 selection because they have a 133 in the fourth round that they could package with a with a pick from next season, knowing that they're in line for quite a few compensatory picks right now based upon who has signed away and who the Saints have yet to sign. So we'll see how much, you know, I mean, obviously if they make signings that are comparable contracts and those end up canceling out some of those in the compensatory pick formula. But, you know, they're in a position to where they can be a little bit uh, well, I mean, look, they've always been they've always been very uh, loose with future selections. So it, it, nothing changes except for the fact that maybe you think you have more fodder potentially going into next year. And so with that being the case, you package 133 in a future third and then you get back into the third to where you get back into that top 100 and you're able to make another selection there. I think that that's what I'm really interested in watching. I think that the Saints get a lot of credit for being good in day three. Um and uh, particularly in rounds like five, six, and seven, talk about them having finding gems, and they haven't. But you know, I, I think yeah. that there, yeah, I think there are a couple of small examples, right? When you look at like Marcus Colson and Zach Streif, but there's not really a lot of sixth, seventh round picks that the Saints have really dove into lately that have turned around and been beneficial for them. They've, they've and, been uh, throwaways a lot. Yeah, they've just been throwaway picks. Yeah, I mean, they're they're seen as special teamers and everything like that. And they've also had a very full roster the last three seasons as well, or four seasons, rather, since 2017. So I think that affects it, too. But, I mean, you know, like, with all that with all that said, you know, on draft day, those day three picks all of a sudden have a ton of value. And so if you're, or even the week before the draft, those have a ton of value. So if you're able to move those for proven veterans on other teams or, you know, whatever that might be, I think that that gives you, just as much another option in terms of how it is that you want to utilize those day three selections. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the States obviously continue to move and be mobile and trade and do their thing. Like there's no reason to expect that that won't be the case. Uh, But yeah, this is going to be a really interesting draft strategy because I think it's going to be defense heavy, which is out of the ordinary for a Sean Payton offense, right? I mean, you'd have to go back to that 2019 class, right? I mean, uh, that's the class that was primarily a defensive class and, and, 
it, it showed out. So mm-hmm. um, I think when you look at um, the draft, I still don't think think they'll make all eight picks. I just yeah, no, I, I don't either. I think it's closer to five. Mm-hmm. That's what I would put my over at is at five. Mm-hmm. That that some of these, like you said, get packaged. Um, yep. The Saints aren't really looking for um, guys at the bottom because they they're just as good at signing undrafted free agents. Right. They're very happy to do that. So, you know, last year was kind of, you know, again, a move that was going moving back into the seventh to grab a player that you didn't really want just to mess around. But yeah. they don't, they're not going to they, they can't do that financially this year and just wait. Right. For some picks. <laughs> but at the same time, I think they're they're very specific and they're going to be very targeted this season, knowing what they know about their cap and their roster situation is, hey, we can't we need to have guys who can that we feel can do something. Right for us day one because you lost so much last year in developing mm-hmm. your rookies, and and basically you are getting a, a new season. Like I would count this as Zach Bond's rookie season, really. Yeah, essentially, absolutely. Yeah, Same I mean, thing only, for Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, so Adam Trout was the only one mm-hmm. out of last year's class that you'd really say got meaningful and quality reps with the time to prepare because we didn't get that for Ruiz. You didn't get that for Zach Bond. You didn't really get to develop them into what you wanted them to do. Um, So they could be answers to some of those questions and change the way that the saints approach the draft. We may, we don't know how much they've gotten and and improved in just mental part of it um, in the last uh, few weeks since the season ended. And I'm sure the Mm -hmm. saints are keeping a close watch on that, but yeah, I just don't see eight picks coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, when you look at the positions now, the positions like wide receiver, like linebacker, like safety, um, and on um, the tackle position in particular on the offensive line, um, where does this draft look? We know we've talked about receivers always being plentiful and, and them being able to transition pretty quickly, but I'm really intrigued in particular about the linebacker and the safety spots. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that when it comes to the safety spot, I mean, this is a fantastic draft for a safety, uh, you know, to, to look for a safety. Because you can grab a guy like Trevon Morig out of the first round coming out of TCU. Sean Payton met with him and TCU linebacker Garrett Wallow reportedly for like a couple of hours meeting with those guys. Uh, he's a great first round selection as a deep safety type. If you're looking for somebody that's a little bit more of like a, a box safety type, then you can go with a Javon Holland out of Oregon who can do a little bit of everything. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He's physical. You probably don't want to use him as a deep safety all by himself. But if you're looking for more split safety looks like the Saints played toward the end of last season, he's a great fit there. You can go later on into the draft as well with a guy like Andre Sisco out of uh, Syracuse, who's who's been incredibly. I mean, he's just an incredibly athletic piece. Um, and actually, there's three different. Syracuse defensive backs in this in this draft that are really interesting in him Trill Williams as well as Ife Malafanwu and they're all really really good pieces that aren't going to probably be first rounders and that could potentially still be available in the third so it's a really deep safety class and that's only a few of the safeties that are available there are more safeties out of Northwestern out of Texas there are tons of safeties that are available in this class that that could become available for the Saints uh, at linebacker it feels like you're you, it's one of those ones that has a pretty big gap but there's a way to keep 
there's a way to still produce at that position in the third round. So this is why I'm really interested in the top 100, particularly for the defensive selections that the Saints look look like they're going to be in position to make is because, I mean, this is where you can get really quality players in this draft within the first three rounds at all three levels of the defense and really help to rebuild this team. I, I think that you're looking to have a draft class with success similar to what you saw from 2017's draft class. Not that they need to go out there and win offensive and defensive rookie of the year together or anything like that, you know what I mean? But you're looking for those guys that are gonna be able to come in, you have a clear vision, you have a role for them and they fit in and they're able to execute it right away. That's the type of draft class that you're looking for. So you're you know in that draft class, the Saints really hit within the first essentially from picks one to 103 if you include Trey Hendrickson in there. And that's really what you want to see the Saints do again here in 2021. And and as we get to those draft preps, um, the Saints interview process, they have brought in a number of players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that the process and and how detailed that the Saints are when they when it comes to these things, that draft profile for them is is kind of unique. You do get, mm-hmm. certain, like you said, there's a there's a cultural fit, there's an intellectual fit, there's a motor fit that right. they are looking for. How you know how many teams? I, I think it has to be a shock for most college players to have to sit in that room with Sean Payton and, and that staff and be really. You're going to get grilled. It's 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 like being in a classroom. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember talking to Mac Jones after one of the Senior Bowl days, and he mentioned his meeting with the New Orleans Saints. And those Senior Bowl meetings went pretty quick because, you know, you had three days essentially to meet with all 32 NFL teams, maybe maybe more than that. Let me not not truncate it too much. But, yeah, I mean, there were guys like, you know, a couple of other quarterbacks there that were doing 14, 15 meetings after practice in order to make sure that they got with every single team. So those flew, like those went pretty quick. And so you can imagine that how quick those meetings might have moved 15 20 minutes maybe something like that and sean payton was grilling mac jones about the playbook (laughs) was putting plays in front of like what do you see here what do you see and was asking him about like the verbiage and can you handle the vocabulary and do you understand a west coast offense do you understand and like west coast offenses are a mouthful like we see all the time the drew Brees play calls that are on you know the sound effects nfl things and stuff like that and the mic'd up nfl specials and all like that's not a simple way to go about it and everything and so they've had to sort of you know they have really even just in those quick meetings that were kind of bite-sized in a way those were in depth and they were really going at players about that now all of a sudden you have these pro bowl meetings and you have individual virtual meetings that they're also taking you can imagine that they're doing something very similar and now they're having to do it in a virtual format as well as opposed to in the in-person format like they did at the senior bowl and like they can do with some of the pro bowls but uh, excuse me excuse me some of the pro days uh but when you look at these virtual meetings that they're taking for some of these candidates that don't have Pro, uh, pro days and that aren't or even have pro days but don't have the the combine interview that they that they've instituted for some of these players like you all have to do that via a virtual meeting too which is even more complicated and is quarterback still something that you the uh, a draft spot that you think the saints take because i just again if it's not in the top three rounds there's not i don't i, don't, I just can't imagine them taking a quarterback yeah, 
I, I find myself really conflicted with it because I want to say, well, you know, if there's the right quarterback that's there in the fourth round and the sixth round, something like that, that has some tools that the Saints like, then it's worth investing and seeing, okay, well, what can this be? But again, as we've talked about, there's not a lot of track record for the Saints in developing rookie quarterbacks. So are they really going to take their time to do that as opposed to utilizing that pick somewhere where you could potentially get a player that, you know, can be a little bit, uh, you know, that could be a special teamer, right? That can contribute in a place that's still very important, but maybe doesn't become a start on the offense or the defensive side. Do you want that to be a quarterback that's not going to develop? Or do you want that to be in a position where you've proven you can develop stars? And that's what, you know, special teams and Darren Rizzi and these guys that do such a fantastic job with that third phase of the game. So I'm conflicted because I feel like, yeah, if the right one's there with the right tools, it makes sense to try to develop. But we know that the Saints don't really do the rookie quarterback development thing at the same time. And it's it's an awkward position because you have three quarterbacks on the roster who all have starting experience in the NFL. Right. Two right. of them you, you brought in specifically to develop in Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston to mm-hmm. take them from one level to another. You've invested all this time. You didn't have long off seasons with both last year. You want to get them both as many reps as you possibly can. So giving those to a rookie quarterback just seems to be something that would slow down the transition. Right. You're going to have yeah. camp arms to take to, to take down the wear and tear. Right. But I just don't – you want – Taysom and, and, and Jameis to get as many reps as possible so that when that decision is made, it's clear. Yeah. Like it, it has to be clear to the staff. It has to be clear to the team. It almost has to be clear to the fans right. in a way because of the, the stature of following Drew Brees that I just don't think you want to have a rookie come in and people say, is this guy potentially the guy when you've got two guys who their own confidence is at a place where they're just trying to figure out if they're going to be long-term legitimate NFL starters. Yeah, absolutely. It's a strange situation to have the first quarterback battle in New Orleans in probably about nearly 20 years that you can go back to maybe Jeff Blake and Aaron Brooks probably would be the last last one. The last legitimate one, yeah. Right. And so like to have the first one there and then you add this other piece that takes up some of those snaps, like it doesn't doesn't make sense, right? And you have Trevor Simeon who can run the other team and that could do a little bit more. Like you mentioned, you have a camp arm to sort of keep some of the, uh, to keep some of the wear and tear down for these players and everything. And I think all of that makes sense. But when it comes down to, you know, who's doing what here, the attention and the focus needs to be on Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill so that you make the right decision about who's going to be your starting quarterback going into next year. And I just don't know where shoehorning in a rookie that you're trying to develop for this year or for another year at a later time, I just don't know where that factors in in terms of where you have space to actually do that in a in a consistent enough and in a proper enough environment for that rookie to develop, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does, because I think the other thing that Jameis alluded to in, in his press conference was the adjustment that Sean Payton is going to make to the offense. Right. And yeah. so you're also going to be transitioning from a Drew Brees playbook which is tailored towards his strengths to adding. And I'm not going to say taking things out. I'm saying what you're doing is adding to right. or the skill sets that Taysom 
and Jameis both have. You have to give them the opportunity to do what they do well. Yeah. And so I think you'll see expanded things from J- from Taysom's package that we saw from the regular season last year. They'll try to, to add some of those things in the preseason and the offseason workouts. And for Jameis, you're going to be talking about more downfield attacks. You're mm-hmm. going to be talking about utilizing those the seam routes with, with your tight end and seeing if you can exploit those mismatches there. And I think it's a different dynamic with him and Alvin Kamara, too. You yeah. Can, different routes you're not asking him just to hang out by the line of scrimmage and catch those passes in the flat you can send Kamara out into routes in a different way that you could than with Drew Brees so I think those things too having to adjust that offense accordingly are going to be big changes that that just you wouldn't you don't want to have too much taking away from the growth of these guys yeah, absolutely. I love the the Alvin Kamara point that you make, by the way, because this is something that I've been really harping on as well. Uh, just looking at a couple of, of numbers here. Uh, Alvin Kamara, back in 2018, his yards before a catch were 67. He had 642 yards after the catch as well for his big season there. But uh, most of his passes, he was catching at least beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, and his average depth of target was a plus 1.8 yards, so nearly two yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And of course, now that has to do with you know, some of that were deeper down the field, some of that were also behind a considerable amount that were also behind the line of scrimmage. That average is really a part of a, a high variance. But when you look at the last couple of seasons, 0.3 yards per uh, average depth of target in 2019, 0.6 in 2020, minus 24 yards before yard before the catch, minus 25 yards after before the catch in the last two seasons as well. So he hasn't been somebody that has accumulated targets downfield to a point where he's been in the positive in terms of yards before catch since 2018 that starts to change uh, very likely specifically with taste with with Jameis Winston but ideally also begins to change with Taysom Hill as well as you get those two a little bit more on the same wavelength than what we saw the four games that he started yeah you want to see those Marshall Falk routes those um, right. McCaffrey routes where mm-hmm. you're bringing him out and lining up against the linebacker and, and letting him beat those guys one-on-one because we know it, he can do it. And um, I just, it's it's something that Sean Payton, anything that Sean Payton can exploit, he's going to do, give yeah. it a shot. He's going to give it. it a shot. <laughs> and if Jameis or Taysa prove that they can't do it, that's one thing. But he's going to give it a shot if he sees that those matchups are possible. Yeah. And, and I, I'm excited about that part. That's the thing that intrigues me the most about this offseason and the offense is what does Sean Payton make it look like? Mm-hmm. Because I think we haven't seen him be able to do that. He has not been able to really play in his own mind and try some things for about five, six years. And, and yeah. I think that it's going to be a very different situation. I think he's excited about it. Um, and that is a scary thing too. Because mm-hmm. Sean Payton by nature is excited about matchups. But now you throw it away at him to say, think up some new stuff. Think up some right. new wrinkles. And <laughs> right. I'm sure he's giddy with that, with that possibility. Yeah. Yeah, Jameis kind of talked about it in yesterday's presser about how much Sean Payton enjoys a challenge. And we certainly saw that from Sean Payton when you know, Teddy Bridgewater took over and they won five straight games when Taysom Hill was in there and they won three out of four. I mean, we see that we've seen that from Sean Payton all the time. And and Jameis echoing that, I think, is something that excites Jameis as well. And is part of one of the reasons why, hey, despite the fact that this team is undergoing, you know, a huge change here with the starting quarterback role, that was a position that he was willing to put himself in and, 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 and contribute to, because I think he's excited about what Sean Payton sees for this offense moving forward. 
when you hear names, you know, and still Richard Sherman's name is out there and people keep buzzing about it. When you hear the names, do you do you see the Saints? And we've talked about this, them holding on. But mm-hmm. there are there players that that the buzz might actually be legitimate about that um, out there. Yeah, I think that the Richard Sherman buzz is legitimate. Um, you know, you have the connection between Richard Sherman and Chris Richard. Um, I think any of those other veteran quarterbacks, if you, if you were, if you begin to hear any buzz about those, all of those would make sense. Casey Hayward, some of these other guys that are out there as well. And then I would also say that the you know Nick Easton potentially returning to the team despite all of his injuries and everything, if he comes at the right price, I think is something to also keep an eye out on as well because again, it's another piece of retention for the team. In the short term, before we get back next week, what what should fans be looking out for um, potentially this week um, coming up for the Saints? And then um, just any other things that are on the radar that um, across the NFL calendar that, that you think we should be up on? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for the Saints is keep an eye out on extensions. Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick, those create space and lockdown futures at the position for you. And then probably uh, those other two names we mentioned, Patrick Robinson and Latavius Murray. And then just to see them you know, start to get a little bit more active in, in free agency, I think those are going to be the biggest things to continue to watch. And then for uh, everything going on across the NFL, I think the biggest thing is just the, the pro days as they roll out and you start to see some of these new and updated numbers for these players as we get now almost within the month uh, of the NFL draft. April 29th, so a little bit more than a month away. And there's no more impact for the Saints as far as picks or things that are going to come across for the draft the rest of the way. We're, we're square. Doesn't seem, yeah, that, yeah, that seems to be the case. The last thing that would happen with them was the future sixth that was taken away for the COVID issues, the COVID protocol issues that took place with Alvin Kamara and tracking devices and all those other things. So that should be behind the team. Now. Yeah, they, they threw out like four extra things in the list of things. That, yeah, like, it was man. weird. <laughs> it wasn't necessary. Just take the pick. Just take the right. pick. No, no need yeah. to tell us about all that. Right. <laughs> but it, it is an exciting offseason for the Saints, and it's something, again, that we have not seen out of this franchise, a literal um, moving on process in a different way. This is okay. this is different than anything we've ever seen because typically for the Saints, moving on has meant that there was some type of drop, a yeah. severe drop before the yeah. change comes. And now this is the first – transitional phase yeah really in saints history yeah this is it this is the big off season this is what we've been waiting for we knew it was coming it's here it's gonna be a fun one to watch oh i'm absolutely excited and um yeah I, I, quickly though the bucks i mean the bucks had plenty of space for signed people i don't think it makes me more confident in them you know what i mean i, yeah. I, I don't think it makes me more confident that they bring everybody back i know everyone's looking at that and saying well look you know it's the same team but a lot of things fell in their way too fell in their favor i mean quite frankly and that's what has to happen for you to win a super bowl yeah very good things they got hot at the right time they had the right defensive coordinator scheme against the right offensive team and i think that um you know people are going to be super high on them because they're the bucks and it's tom brady yeah what they're bringing back are guys who, who too have been inconsistent in their past yeah, I, I look, I, I like what the Bucks are doing. I'm glad, that, I mean, for them bringing back all the pieces that they have, I'm all, I'm all about consistency and, and keeping the band together. And they've done a good job at that. Now they just have to hope that they could, you know, with those players that they replicate the success that they had last season. Um, I, I like what they're doing. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see how it all pans out for a second year in a row. It, it's still a big question mark. The NFC South, all told, is, is, is a bit of a question mark. All right, my brother. Um, I appreciate you. A short one this week, but like I said, we didn't have a ton to talk about, mm-hmm. but we also gave some great info there. Hit them up again with how they can uh, get up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. And of course, you can find the podcast uh, Locked on Saints wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, 
iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google, uh, Spotify, everything like that. So wherever it is that you get your podcast, go and check me out there. And of course, all the writing over at CanalStreetChronicles.com. All right, my man. I'm at DM Grove on Instagram and Twitter. Y'all know that and HITP with DG.com. So until next Wednesday when we do this again, this has been the Don't Patrol on Hard to Paint.